But dude, I'm really hungry. And I can't believe that somebody promised me some barbecue. And man, um, I I'm a I apologize. <laughs> I had this really horrible thing happen. So I spent five hours today making one of the best pork butts man has ever witnessed. My mouth's watering. It was amazing. And I thought, you know what? My best buddy John needs some of this barbecue. And so I got all on my own, a nice glass Tupperware dish and put some sauce and barbecue in there and put a little magic dust on it. And I mean, I got this joker ready and put it in a Walmart sack, come over, get to your house. And I come out of the truck and I drop it. It was either, I had two things in my hand, the barbecue and the American flag. Well, that's I caught the flag, man. So you can't give me a hard time, but barbecue, barbecue, very close second. And even for a second, I thought, we can save this. <laughs> Even though the Walmart sack was full of barbecue and shards of glass, <laughs> I still honestly thought, I think we can go through there and get the glass out. Yeah. I think we can do this. And I, th- I thought, man, you know what? We ne- really need to live for a while. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to. Sh- I don't want to shard So I apologize. <laughs> Maybe there's some squirrel out in my truck right now having this barbecue. Yeah, there might be yard. a squirrel murderer by the end of the day. You know, Dude, so. that's horrible. It smells really good in the, in the bed of my truck right now. <laughs> so maybe next time we'll see what we can do tomorrow. Bring some of that over. But we need to get some of this like on video or something. Like the whole yeah. process yeah. of how we do it. So um, I've got a, a, a rub recipe for uh, pork butts. A buddy gave mine. It's it's kind of cool when when a friend of yours gives you the recipe that they've never given to anybody else. Like you're in the inner circle at I that. Think, point. Man, I know yeah. he's really trusted me with some important information here. <laughs> so the rub is excellent. I did come up with my own plus my dad's kind of halfway recipe for a sauce. It's kind of like a Carolina mm-hmm. vinegar based yeah. sauce. Oh, my favorite, dude. My killer, favorite. Yeah, killer. So the moment the pork butt comes out of the smoker. Rest it for a while, get the sauce, some magic dust out, and just... And here's the funny thing. So, my wife ordered from Amazon some Bath and Body Works stuff. It came today. She's in the kitchen smelling the pumpkin spice, latte, whatever, and just having the time of her life. I've got the barbecue and the and the meat and the sauce just... And both of us were in heaven. I had the barbecue. She had the Bath and Body Works. Like, as long as, you know... The two of you got that. There's not a whole lot else. <laughs> Your marriage is complete. <laughs> you, you don't really have to do anything need. else. You've built you the are, perfect marriage there. Really? So. so that's the recipe. If everybody wants to know, make sure your wife has all the bath and body work supplies possible. And then make sure you got all the you know barbecue supplies and things are going to work out pretty good. You're going to forget about everything else going on in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Well, once again, I'd like to thank you guys who tuned into episode one and we're back here again. And this is going to be a regular thing. We're planning on trying to get an episode out once a week. Um, And I think we've got a decent cadence started. Um, So I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in and I hope you guys will continue to tune in. Um, We're going to continue this thing and hope that you guys just join the brotherhood. 
And real quick, before we get started tonight, we actually just were made aware of a news story out of Maine where there was a, an active shooting incident where 22 people lost their lives. And we would like to just take a moment and send our thoughts and prayers out to all of the victims and how that community was shaken uh, by this horrific event. And uh, we don't, we don't, we are gun advocates and we love the Second Amendment, but when something like this happens, we want to say, you know, that there is no excuse for this kind of evil in the world. And um, we want to just send out a prayer to each and every one of those individuals affected by this. Dave, you got something for that? Yeah, this is a tough deal to, to kind of handle, especially if we don't know who the victims are yet. I don't know if it's all adults or kids or, or who all is involved, but this is tough as believers and as a lot of non-believers also will think when something like this happens is how would a loving God allow something like yeah. this to happen? How would he let you know a child or somebody be murdered by such a bad person? And in my mind, it's kind of set up like this humanity is are the people that have allowed things like this to happen and it goes all the way back to the beginning of time with adam and eve in the garden and sin entered the world thanks to them and it caused death and pain and all kinds of horrible things to be allowed into this world and so kind of by the the choice of human nature and history we've allowed things like this to exist um, however god has a plan we don't always know exactly what it is uh, but he has a plan and is perfect in some way, somehow. You just have to understand that they're at the end of this, it's going to glorify God. It's going to benefit us personally as the people who have to live through these situations. You know, sometimes we ask and we pray, God, you know, why would you allow something like this to happen? And and I need your help. And and this is like worst case scenario when your when your family members are killed. But sometimes those hardships we go through do make us stronger. It does give us opportunities to witness to other people. It does provide, you know, a time in our lives to do things for God that we wouldn't have done before. Uh, anytime there's tragedy, whether it's, you know, losing a loved one or just dealing with adversity, um, you have to think about where is this going to come out on the other end and is going to somehow glorify God and bring people to him. That's tough. I, I don't have the answers for exactly no. how to deal with that, but I can tell you this, without a foundation of God in the first place, those things become sometimes insurmountable. And I just thank God that, that we've got that. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Um, we're going to get into some other things that in, in a way kind of tie to this subject, uh, about defense, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive in a little bit into what we can learn from the two wars that are going on right now, and what we can learn in uh, that applies to us as a as in our nation, and more broadly, what's going to apply to the world. You know, we when you look at stuff like Israel, it's really easy for us that have read the Bible to immediately start thinking, oh my word, is this the end of the world kind of thing? And it's really easy to get back into that 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 mindset of, oh, is this eschatology coming to, to fruition? Is this a, you know, is this the start of the end of the world? Um, I don't think we need to get too de deep into that, but it is something that we kind of always think when something kicks off in that in that area of the world. But I think that really what 
what we should be looking at is what actually happened and what what how that applies to us as Americans as far as you had a, a brutal attack of a terrorist organization that hates the Jewish people, wants to exterminate them, and killed, I think the last count was over 1,500 people, you know, just murdered them. But one key thing to that is when we look at that and we look at our country, in Israel they have some of the most stringent gun control in the world. And because of that, people can't defend themselves. And so when these kind of things happen, it's a, it's a reminder that we do have a lot of freedoms that the rest of the world doesn't have. We could defend ourselves if somebody came into our town and tried to, tried to hurt us. Or if in, in the case of what happened earlier tonight, an active shooter came in to try and trying to do harm to our family. We have that right. I think it's also interesting when we see something like the war in Ukraine that's about a year and a half old, how that also applies to the same subject in the way that when that all kicked off, we had a lot of people that are all for getting our guns out of our hands in this country saying, yeah, let's send all of those civilians over there in Ukraine military weapons so they can defend themselves. And I think that's a good conversation to have for us. Uh, You have a lot more, a lot of perspective from the police. I have it as just a, a, a veteran that's been in, you know, uh, areas of the world where combat was going on. I was never in a combat zone, but I, I, I was sent over in the middle of a war. And I think that we, we could talk about this a little bit and kind of get some perspective for the audience of, of why it's so important for us to take our rights as Americans seriously. Yeah. So here's the thing that people don't understand is, Anybody that talks about wanting to just get rid of AR-15s or just get rid of all the guns, let's just get rid of all these scary guns and that'll make everything better. The people that usually argue that, they don't really believe that anything bad could ever happen to them. Yeah. And we see it does happen. We see it happen in Israel where 1,500 people got slaughtered by terrorists. In Ukraine, a country's getting invaded and we had to start giving them guns to help them defend themselves. In Maine... Some joker went in and killed 22 people somewhere at several different places. And you think, well, this couldn't happen to us. But you could be the person sitting in a bowling alley when a guy comes in. And whether you believe, you know, that certain guns are bad or what, at some point you have to be ready to defend yourself. And if you don't think it's ever going to happen, then you won't be prepared. You won't have the mindset. You won't ever think that anybody else needs that. I just hope from these tragedies that people see that these things do happen. Yeah. And the answer isn't to try and get rid of all all the scary guns. The answer, in part, is personally, what do you have to do to protect yourself? You and your family are number one. What can you do to keep you from being that family that gets wiped out at a table in a bowling alley? There's things you can do. You can prepare yourself. Yeah. And you can arm yourself. Yeah. And you can talk to your family and talk about what you would do in these instances. And... If you just put your head in the sand and hope or think it will never happen, that's when you're the most vulnerable. I, we talk about Hamas going into Israel and killing 1,500 people. I don't know how many people were involved on the Hamas side on that, but how easy would it be for a group of people in America, whether it's Antifa, you, you name the group, mm-hmm. just get 100 people. Just get 100 people. 
in this country that decide they want to exact terror on people. Good grief. It oh, yeah. Would, it would be staggering. It would make the Israel attack look like kids play. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I so think... It, yeah, to think that to think that that's something that's this couldn't happen here. Why couldn't it? Why wouldn't it happen here? It could. There's a lot of people that don't like this country. There's a lot of people here that don't like what we stand for. Yeah. So it's possible. It's possible. America is the epicenter. It's the hub of hatred for the rest of the world. Yeah. Because you know we are the the center of freedom of Christianity of believing that we wouldn't want to be able to defend ourselves. And so there's a lot of hate coming our way right here in this country. So we've got to get beyond the fact that people think it just could not happen to us or couldn't happen here. And that's step number one. Yeah, I think. And I think there's other examples in recent history, just in the last five years or so, there was a mass shooting in, in, in uh, Paris where they went into a nightclub with a, with a band that was playing and shot a bunch of people. So, um, it's, it's a very, very real thing that's, that we all face the possibility of meeting violence out in the world and taking, I, I think taking away instruments, you know, like guns is not going to cure the problem of evil or sin in the world. It's, it's just not, we, we have an example of that in the France attack with the semi truck. The guy drives a semi truck, kills 80 some people in a Christmas parade mm-hmm. Evil's going to find a way to do bad things, to hurt and to to kill people. And I think that if you don't think that that's kind of like you said, if you don't think that's coming to your to your doorstep at some point or could, you're very naive in the ways of the world. You're very very um, yeah. Well, you got your head in the sand, as you said. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, what do you do now? Well, you have to make a decision. At some point in your life, there's a threshold that gets crossed. Mm-hmm. You're going to go from uh, just wondering about it and thinking about it to actually deciding to act and making a decision to do something about it. Um, and it's very empowering to realize that you have the mindset, the tools, the equipment um, to be able to, to defend yourself, to keep yourself from being a victim. Who just wants to lay down and say, you know, please, you know, don't kill me. Please you know, don't shoot me. Please don't abduct me. That's a, that would be a horrible feeling knowing that there was nothing you could, you could do to help yourself. Yeah. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person that just lays down and says, you know, please don't do anything to me. Uh, I don't want to be that person. And the interesting thing is there's some things you can do to stop that. Yeah, absolutely. And so we talk about arming yourself you know, we want people that are going to carry a firearm for self-defense to be professional about it. We don't want it to be just some, you know, uh, last minute, you know, decision and you're like, oh, this, or this is a cool thing. I'm going to get this and everything will be fine. It's not, it's a journey. Self-defense with martial arts or a firearm, anything like that is a journey and it's a mindset change. And so we don't want anybody to have a false sense of security about, oh, get a gun, everything will be fine. Yeah. That's not how it works. Even if you didn't have one, you should have the mindset of, I'm going to do something to fix this problem. Yeah. I, I, you, know, you need, in public, in these situations where one suspect is inflicting terror on people, you need the masses to stand up. Yeah. It's like a colony of ants that, that swarm, <laughs> you know, you know, the bigger, you know, more strong opponent or whatever that is. Yeah. And in mass, 
a, a large group of people is unstoppable. Yeah. And so, I, yeah. And I, so there's, there's also some, some other issues that you can address in this, in this discussion. I've seen a lot of, not everybody, but there's, there's a, there's a large portion of, of Christians who, who have this debate on, oh, whether it's godly or biblical to defend yourself. And to them, I would say it's, there's, there's some very, very interesting passages in the Bible that specifically speak about this. Jesus tells uh, his disciples, if he doesn't, if you don't have a sword, go out and buy one. That one of the, one of the big moments in the garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is, is about to be crucified, is about to be taken away, they show up to arrest him. And what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword and chops the dude's ear off. If you know historically what a sword was, a sword was not something you used for hunting. The sword was basically the handgun of the day. It was what you used wow. at close quarters. It was what you used to inflict pain or death on somebody that was coming to hurt you. It was an up-close weapon. And it wasn't even like a knife that was used for utility, uh, for chopping wood and that kind of stuff. A sword is specifically designed as a defensive weapon at close quarters. Very similar to what a handgun would be in, in modern age. And Jesus encouraged his disciples to have those to defend themselves because the reality was there were robbers and there were people that were doing harm to people. They were out on the road all of the time. So I think right. that that's a, it's kind of a weak argument in the fact that, yes, I think that we shouldn't be going out looking for a fight. No, absolutely not. But we should not shy away from having the tools in at our disposal to defend ourselves. Right. I don't yeah. think there's any biblical um, basis to say you can't defend yourself. No, there's a time for everything. Yes. And one of those times is being able to defend you or somebody else that cannot help help themselves. Yes. So we're not, we don't want people to put on a cape and run around and try and, you know, solve the world's problems just because they have a gun. And as far as our Christian beliefs, you know, we are supposed to turn the other cheek and we are supposed to let people, you know, maybe get the last word. Yeah. It doesn't mean that if your four-year-old is being kidnapped out of the bedroom window that you're just supposed, just supposed to let the bad guy kidnap your kid. So there is a time to defend yourself. And I think... You know, I don't think at all, um, as far as our beliefs go, it's meant that you're just supposed to be a victim no Correct. matter what, yeah. at all at all costs, not yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. So um, I would like to give you a chance you, you to talk about just some personal things in your life and uh, kind of address a couple things in your life that, you know, tell a story about, you know, the Kemp family from from the past yeah for sure so what we like to do is kind of you know as we get started in this endeavor is just continue to tell people about who we are and kind of what we're about and some things that have happened uh, with us and i think it's uh, interesting just to hear stories uh from from me and you and from a lot of people out there uh also as it relates to to our faith as well and what it, what it means to us and i talked the other night about uh, my wife my two oldest sons nathan and shane and i was going to mention real quick about my youngest son, Aaron, and just a little story about him. So Aaron, he's 20 years old now, doing great, living in Florida. I'm jealous. <laughs> so maybe get down there at some point. Mm -hmm. But when Aaron was about eight months old, we started to notice that his skull was misshapen a little bit. And we thought maybe it was from him just sleeping on one side a lot or just how he's sleeping in the crib. And we went to the pediatrician a few times and 
they started doing some testing and ultimately after a couple of months of testing they found out he had something called craniosynostosis mm. it was on the left it's called the left lambdoid craniosynostosis and essentially it meant that the sutures kind of the, the zipper looking area of the skull of the different sections of your skull the suture area on one section had fused together too early those those gaps in your skull don't fuse all the way together until you're maybe a year and a half, two years old, something like that. So one of those sections had fused together and it caused the rest of the skull to not grow symmetrically. And it was putting pressure on one side of his brain. And so we kind of had a decision to make, like, do we just have him wear a helmet to help reshape his skull or what was going on? And and ultimately, after some testing, they found that there was some added pressure on his brain in that area. And if we just continue to let that go and let nature take its course, it might cause some permanent, you know, detrimental side effects and, or, or worse. And so we decided that we we're going to go ahead and have surgery have, uh, on Aaron. And so we went up to St. Louis, uh, met with some real good doctors up there at Children's Hospital. And they had only done this surgery four times. Mm. And the difficult part was doing surgery on a 10-month-old. That's the real difficult part. And as you can imagine, it's... And so it was funny because the doctor's like, okay, we're going to do this skull surgery. And we're going to kind of get a plastic surgeon in there and reshape it. And and he'll be good to go. And we're like, all right, cool. We're going to trust that plan, even though we knew it was surgery and and nerve-wracking. We didn't really know everything that was involved in that. So I had to give blood before surgery a couple different times because anytime you operate on a skull, there's a lot of blood loss. So um, I gave blood. We went up there, and little 10-month-old Aaron was all happy and, and ready to go and, and got him into surgery, and surgery went great. It was, about, it was only about a six-hour surgery. And came out, they got them all fixed up, and we were in the recovery room. So, okay, Doc, after, you know, now this is over, I want to know how this, like, what you actually did to my son. Like, what is this surgery? Because I didn't really want to know all the details beforehand. He said, well, essentially, that section of his skull that was fused together, they had to remove it and, and reshape it to the shape it was supposed to be. So essentially, they had to cut out a section on a 10-month-old skull on the back about that big. Wow. I'm like, well, how do you cut out a section of somebody's skull and like not mess with their brain and, and still keep them alive? And I'm like, well, I said, you don't have to have a skull really to be alive. Your brain has to be functioning, obviously. So what they did to start was they drilled a pilot hole into the skull that had in the drill. And these are just power tools. These are not like some you know, magic surgery tools that don't hurt. They're drills with drill bits. And the drill bit had a stop on it at about a quarter of an inch. And they drill a pilot hole into the skull. And the drill stops right before the brain. Then they take a jigsaw, just like a jigsaw you would have in your garage. Like in Milwaukee over there. And it's set to the same depth as the stop of that wow. drill. And with a jigsaw, they cut out this section of skull about this big and remove it. So they, in order to get to the skull, they have to get your scalp out of the way. So they cut a Charlie Brown zigzag from one ear all the way over to the other ear. And they do this zigzag pattern. So when they sew you back up, your hair, it's not one straight line that would be very obvious because there's going to be a scar. Mm -hmm. And 
my hair is just not going to look right on this side, <laughs> you know, kind of like a Christmas vacation. Yeah. But so they peel the scalp all the way off the, off the skull, take the jigsaw, cut that section of skull out. And then there's the brain. And they give that section of skull that was misshapen to the plastic surgeon. And like, here you go, brother, do your thing. And so they essentially took the skull and reversed it. So with the place where it was bulging on one side, they now are going to have it on the other side. And they actually put cuts in it and, and it gets pliable and they can shape it to where they want it to be. And then they put it back on and screw it back into his other skull. And then pull his scalp back over his head and sew him up. Mike, good Lord, I'm glad you did not tell me about all this stuff ahead of time. So Aaron gets out of surgery and, you know, he's got some black eyes and poor guy was just, you know, of course, this is kind of a, a rough, rough surgery. But, you know, going through that and just all you can do is sit in the, in the waiting room is pray that he's in God's hands and that, then pray that the doctors, you know, to me as a Christian, Sometimes you just don't know what to pray. Like, I don't know, you know, obviously you want your kids to be okay. Uh, and you don't really know what the prayer, like, what does it mean? I'm going to pray to God to help my son, but like, what, what happens? What's the magic that happens that keeps him okay? And, and, and so sometimes we just don't know what the, that world looks like, the spiritual realm, you know, and for those of you that aren't real, quite sure of what the spiritual world is like, it's, I don't know exactly, but in your mind, when you're praying to God, God's hearing that and it's spiritual. And for me, I would just always pray to just send angels to watch over my son mm -hmm. and the doctors. And I think to me, in my mind, it's comforting to know that there's a group of good, good you know, goodness hovering over yeah. our family. And the Bible says that there's guardian angels out there yeah. watching over and protecting us. And so um, it was a real just nerve-wracking time in our lives. Things worked out great. And, you know, Aaron's thriving, you know, in, in his job in, in Florida. And, you know, we just thank God. Thank God that he came out of the surgery good. Thank God that I had a job and had insurance. Yeah. You know, I think the bill on that surgery was like $600,000 or something. And, you know, we had, our, we paid like a hundred dollar copay or something like, wow, I, I could have never gotten any other health care the rest of my career. And I would have been okay with that. Like, you know what, that insurance covered, you know what, I, it's just crazy. Some people don't have insurance yeah, and it's rough and they do get the hospital bills when they're in a car wreck and they have a broken leg and they got $40,000 or $80,000 of the bills. So, yeah. you know, just thank God that. You know, things worked out for us, and it was just a blessing that Aaron came through that healthy, um, and so just just couldn't be more thankful for that. And just so, when times get tough, like oh man, you know, you know, I was trying to get this job and it didn't go through, or certain things are happening in your life. For me, a lot of times I go back and try to remember. You know, the Bible tells us to remember a lot. I think mm -hmm. I think the phrase remember is one of the most mentioned phrases in the entire Bible. God wants us to remember all the things he did for us. Remember that I brought you out of Egypt. Remember I part of the Red Sea. Remember I did mm -hmm. all these miracles every day. So when we start to feel disgruntled, like, you know, God, how come, you know, this has happened to me? 
and my family. Talk how many horrible things have happened. I think God wants us to remember all the amazing things that have happened and also the things that you know we don't even know about that mm-hmm. where God has intervened and saved other tragedies from happening. So uh, from my experience and dealing with that, it helps me to appreciate what we do have and not you know take lightly you know the the, the the blessings we have. Yeah, I agree. That's a great story, man. I I appreciate you sharing that uh, because. Yeah, we sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees until we get past it, you yeah. know. And um, and then we look back, and you know they always say hindsight's twenty twenty. You you can see God's fingerprints all over your life in hindsight for sure. Yeah. I know there's a lot of times, whether it be my marriage, uh, my job, I, I, just a quick story when I I have only lost one job where I was fired from, and that was like twelve years ago, and I lost a job, and we were pregnant with our first child and you oh boy mm-hmm. you know we're trying to figure out how we're going to have in, make ends meet and it was a god thing because within 6 months of me losing that job I was making more money than my manager was so it was like god at the time it was a devastating and tragic thing for our family but it's like god had everything in his hand yeah. and Looking back on the uh, at the other end of it, I was like, "Wow!" And I've had tons of opportunities at my current job. I've been at eleven years, so it's don't ever take for granted necessarily the bad because it, it's yeah. horrible when you're going through it sometimes. Yeah, but and, and you if, yeah. will see God's fingerprints on it. I don't know if we talked about this <clears> the other night though, but I want people to understand that my history, as far as my faith, and I, you know, I didn't grow up going to church. You know, I didn't grow <clears> up. You know, my parents I had a great family upbringing you know my family life was awesome and being an only child helps <laughs> situation for sure but you know I didn't grow up we didn't grow up going to church I you know by the time I was 15 I'd probably been to maybe a couple church services and maybe because they were on a Christmas Eve or a, an Easter or something while we were visiting our grandparents or something it was it was never a part of uh, of my life growing up. I was not by no means religious. By no means was I involved and grow up going to, 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 to Sunday school and, and Bible studies. That was not any part of my life. And so I don't, you know, we're, we talk a lot about faith and, and Christianity and our beliefs, but I come from a, my, my background is very skeptical. It's especially being a cop for 30 years you want to talk about somebody that's skeptical? My wife gives me a hard time. She's like, you don't trust anybody, do you? And I'm like, no, not, not really. <laughs> I don't, and I test things, and I, and I want to make sure what I'm seeing is right and true, and I'm not getting tricked, and somebody's not pulling the wool over, because that's, yeah. that's what I deal with every day. It's what I dealt with for 20 years is everybody I talked to was trying to get one over on me, trying to lie to me about who the, what their name was, lie to me about where they're coming from, lie to me about what crime they said they didn't commit. Everything was just lies, 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 and our job was to decipher all that and get through it and find out what the truth was. So I was, you know, I in my life... I was skeptical. My career, I was very skeptical. So I was not somebody that just grew up in church and blindly believe this faith just because somebody told me so. So I had to test it. And and plus, there's to me, it was just a gut. It's weird how some people have are called 
to Christianity, even though they'd never heard about it before. Mm-hmm. Or and you would think that maybe like, well, they grew up watching something on TV, and they just thought that you know, that Christianity was the way because somehow it just by osmosis it seeped into their body. But it's curious how some people just why why would certain people just understand that Jesus is is the way? Why why would that religion or that religious person be the one that pops into their into their mind it's it's real curious and as a kid that was in junior high i had a couple friends that were that did go to church a lot uh, one buddy of mine named matt heckle best friend going through high school and he was the one that was always into church and bringing bibles to school in seventh grade and and telling everybody about god and he mm-hmm. knew from just about the day he was born he was going to be a preacher and, you know, he had given me a Bible. I've still got it to this day. And it was just one day in junior high, I thought, you know, I think this is, I think this is real. I think all of this Christianity stuff, my gut feeling, even though I hadn't been taught about it, nobody really tried to, you know, shove it down my throat. My gut feeling was this is, this is real. And through my high school days and, and growing up in college and getting a job, I'm, I was still felt like I was constantly kind of testing the system, you know, like, mm-hmm. is this, you know, is this just make believe? Is this just some, you know, book with a bunch of wild stories in it that nobody can prove? Um, and so, you know, we could talk on some other episodes about a lot about that and kind of how, um, you know, there's no way you're going to, you know, you don't have a video of, of Jesus walking around on the earth 2000 years ago. But there are a lot of really good ways to figure out historically if something happened or not. Um, and so, you know, my background was never, you know, really big time religious, but I did come to believe it 100%. I remember uh, it's probably freshman year or sophomore year of high school. I don't know how many of you have, have gone to these, but. I was. I remember specifically going to Murdale Baptist Church. It was about 1987 or 1988, and there was a group there. I think they were called like Strike Force or Power Team or something. Power Team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they blew up the hot water bottles yeah. and you know and did a bunch of stuff, and it was all you know. It was pretty cool. And at the end of the service, it was like, hey, you know what? If you're tired of just messing around and not really committing your life to something, now's the time. And I thought, you know what? You're right. This is the time. And so. That was the night I got saved, as they say in in the churchy world. And for some reason, the phrase "getting saved" or "born again," I always thought like these are real churchy. Like I don't know, I, I just didn't like the words. I didn't like the phrasing. It just sounded too churchy. Almost. Yeah. But ultimately, that's what happened. Was I on that night in 1988? I said, you know what? I believe that Jesus is the King of the Universe. And I'm and I made that commitment then, and it's been a journey, you know, uh, ever since then, ups and downs, and you keep trying to move towards where God is. And I've, I guess, the struggle with me and my Christian faith over the years is, I don't know if it was really a struggle or not, but so many people that you try to talk to about it, like you know what, that sounds all cool, and and you know, uh, but I'm just, people are so set in their ways. They're like, you know, I just. I'm good with who I am, and and Jesus loves me for who I am. Me and, and God got it. Me and the man upstairs got an agreement. You know, they yeah. got the T-shirt that yeah. says Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah, and and that type of attitude, and and so you run into that a lot. And one of the first things you know in my faith that I decided is like I, 
I don't want to be, you know, just the person that is me and not moving towards God. And the Bible is very clear that you are not just supposed to be you. You are supposed to be constantly striving to be more like Jesus. And once again, I thought, you know, that... I don't know. Does that mean everybody's supposed to be a preacher? Like, is that, like, what does that mean? Constantly trying to be more like Jesus, but you just think of, of the virtuous aspect of the person who was sinless on this planet. Like, mm-hmm. what was he all about? And yeah, that we should try to be that. So for the people that out there watching and saying, you know, I'm kind of, I, I do kind of believe in this Christianity. I just don't know. It's always hard to cross the threshold and be, Okay, I want to make a commitment. I want to do this because then everybody's watching and now you feel like every day is a test. Like, am I going to pass the test? Am I going to be good enough? You know, can I do this? It's going to be impossible. People don't want to ever start off until they sit back and and are comfortable with God just loves me for who I am. And I'm good enough. He made me this way. Surely I'm good enough to stay this way. So I want to read a couple of verses. I got some notebook. Uh, stuff written down in a notebook. I'm going to go through these just in a second. Put on my grandpa glasses here. <laughs> so when we talk about people saying, I'm good enough just the way I am, and I think God will accept me for the person who I am. This is going out to all of you, and I want you to just keep this in perspective. So the Bible is very clear. We are not just supposed to be good enough and just be who we are on our own. The Bible says we're supposed to be transformed to be like Jesus. So here's a couple Bible verses and you can go back and, and, and write these down if you want to. Colossians 3, 5, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Romans 13, 14, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. John 3.30, he must be. He must become greater, and I must become less. That doesn't sound like you're just staying the way you think you should be. John fifteen five. Apart from me, you can do nothing. First Peter one fifteen. Just as he is called, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Second Corinthians fifteen seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and his old has gone, and the new has come. James four four. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Romans 6, 4, we died to sin. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Romans 12, 1 and 2, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is not just cruising along, doing whatever you want to do and saying, Jesus loves me for who I am. Ephesians 4, to 24, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Ephesians 4, 17 to 19, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God. Romans 8, 8, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And we go on. I've got probably 20 other verses here that go on and on. So what I want people to understand is if you are down with this thing called Christianity and you believe in the God of Jesus, you also cannot believe that just doing your own thing is good enough. You, you can call it, you know, Dave's religion or John's religion. You can call it whatever, but you cannot also call it Christianity. You cannot say you're a Christian and then say, you know what? I don't have to be that way because Jesus loves me just the way I am. It's a different, it's just a totally made up religion that you've made up yourself. It's got nothing to do with the Bible. So I'm cool with that. If you want to make something up and, and call it whatever you want to, then do that. Just don't call it Christianity. And the thing is, that's some people think, well, that's just all a lot of stuff that's very hard to do. But in reality, it's it's just hard to do if you don't want to do it. Yeah. No. If if you're down with that, like, you know what? Yes, I'm all in. All of a sudden, those things are not very hard to do. You're committed and motivated. And on top of that, you've got the God of the universe helping you out, giving you strength to do those things. So it's... In my mind, I, I kind of, in my faith, started kind of taking things one step at a time and trying to figure out what a lot of this stuff meant and where I was going to go and how active I was going to be in my faith. And I wasted a lot, of, a lot of my life, decades of my life, just cruising along, saying I was a Christian, um, maybe not being the best that I could be at that. And I just... And, and also, I don't want people to, to listen to us talk about these things and think that we've got it figured out, that we're better than you, that, you know, the Bible says none of us are perfect. Just because you're a Christian doesn't give you the right to tell other people um, how wrong they are necessarily. Um, you know, we can, you know, help each other out as Christians and, and try to guide each other in our faith. But um, we should not be out there just on a, on a soapbox talking about how everybody else is bad, we're the best, do what we do, or else you're not any good. That's not that's not how this works. So we just want to encourage people, if you have questions, pray about what the answer is. Even if you're agnostic, you don't know. You don't know. You're In your mind, I, just, I don't know. I don't know what the truth is. I would just almost dare you to say a prayer in your mind of, you know what, God, if you're so real, then show me. show me that you are. Yeah. Prove it to me. And what do you have to lose? If if nothing happens and you never discover anything in your life, then you haven't lost anything either. However, if you do discover <laughs> that this God thing is real, all of a sudden eternity has changed for you in a magnificent way. So what do you have to lose? Yeah, I and a couple of verses that you that you had on your list there. All of them are great, but there are a couple that I recently kind of came to a new understanding of. One of them being the be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's literally talking about this, the setting your mind on things of God. Your mindset should be on the things of God. 
and should be not conforming to what culture and society and government and um, your neighbor tells you, but always judging that through the lens of, is this in line with what God is telling me? Crucifying. All of these verses are talking about a call to action and tangible things. We're not just sitting back and, you know, and just expecting God to change us. He will change our heart, but he also wants us to take action in our lives to clear out those things. Maybe it's, maybe it's, um, distancing yourself from some friendships that are detrimental to, to that walk. And maybe it's a, you know, a change in just your outlook, what you're doing in your everyday life, what you're, what you're focusing on. It's all of those things are what builds us to becoming closer to righteousness. We can't attain righteousness, but it is something that we can strive for. And every day doing those little things, those little stair steps of getting, what can we do today to, to be closer to God than what we were yesterday? Really, really good stuff, dude. Yeah, I remember Pastor Michael a few months ago at Cornerstone Church mm-hmm. was on a, on a, I don't know if I call it a kick or not, but there was several weeks in a row when he had, you know, the whiteboard and was diagramming some stuff out, you know, some ways to witness the people and kind of our walk with God. And, and one of the diagrams I remember writing down was that it doesn't really matter where you are in your life. Sometimes people think, you know what? I've done some really horrible things and there is zero chance that God, if he's real, is ever going to let me anywhere near him. And the point of this diagram was to show that God is at the center or should be at the center of whatever the universe, your life, whatever, and that we are trying to get closer. Some of us are pretty close, you know, and some people are way far away. And the point is, is not where you are. It's what direction are you moving? Are mm-hmm. you trying to move towards God? And that's going to be an up and down journey. It's never going to be 100 miles an hour doing everything great and perfect. And you become this Mother Teresa saint type of person. We're not. It's a constant battle against your flesh and your earthly nature. But as long as we are moving in the right direction, up and to the right, As you said, (laughs) you know, that's what we need to focus on. It's like uh, a weight loss journey or an exercise journey. You're never going to have a hundred days in a row of you ate everything perfectly. You exercised all the time. It's not going to happen. No Reese's Cups exists. Right. Here comes Halloween, buddy. (laughs) We're about to get down on a bunch of good, bunch of good candy here pretty soon. So it doesn't mean because you have one day where it wasn't exactly on your plan that, well, just, I guess I'm never going to do this. It's you're not a failure. No. So it's it's where you're at, what, which direction you're moving is the is the important thing. So um, we want people to keep that keep that in mind. Yeah, and um, I think it's just that constant. Um, you know, if you fall forward, if you fail, and you fall on your face, uh, my dad used to have this saying: if you fall on your face, you're still moving forward. You're yeah. still you're still headed in that direction. And I think that that's a key thing. I want to end on a kind of a funny note. We actually recently found out some some fun things about our um, our paths have crossed in the past before. So we're at our tactical weekend last weekend, and shameless plug, real quick. Um, 
we do these about twice a year, and we would love for some of you guys that are fans of the show to come out and join us. It's a great time. We cook a lot of food, we shoot a lot of guns, and we just hang out and talk about stuff like this. Sometimes it's um it's a it's a really good time of fellowship. But while we were sitting around the fire, I we were talking about crime, I think, and just uh, being robbed. I think was what the subject was. And I was like, I've only been robbed once, and the story was. Um, I was at the movie theater in Marion here uh, and watching a movie with a friend. This was, I think this was literally right before I left for basic training, uh, like early 2002. And I had my 1996 Geo Tracker white with the zip off top. I mean, killer. The chicks loved that, that car. Right, you know? I bet. Yeah. I bet, um, but I had, like I had swatch, a watch, watch. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 but um, I had my, um, my my favorite guitar at the time was this blue court guitar. And I played it at church and loved that guitar. And I would stuck it in the back of that car. And while we were in the movie, some guys came and stole it. And I walk out of there and they had actually, I had forgotten this part of the story too. They'd stole the insert. They didn't steal my whole stereo. They stole the insert, which was useless without the actual head unit. So I don't know mm-hmm. how smart the guys were, but Not they'd very. stole that. <laughs> they'd stole that and stole my guitar. And I was furious because I just paid a couple hundred dollars for this new, beautiful blue guitar and, you know, love the sound of it. And I'm just upset. I called the police. Well, there's not probably much chance that we're going to find that guitar. Very low chance. And so I go home dejected, upset, and the next day I get a call from the Carbondale Police Department saying that they might have my guitar. And I'll let you take over the story from here. Yeah, sure. So on a side note, my first guitar also was a blue guitar. <laughs> it was a, an electric acoustic, an ovation with this Ooh. blue sunburst looking. It was like, dude, I thought I was... Yeah. You know, there was a band back in the 90s called Nelson. Yeah. I thought, we're going to be in this band. Yeah. <laughs> uh, REO Speedwagon, shout out, also played Ovations. And that's yeah. That's a so great rock band. It was, it was cool. So I was digging that. So anyway, me and John really only thought we had only first met like three years ago. Yeah. And turns out that our connection went all the way back to whatever year this was. 2000, 2002, two, I think. Was, two. Yeah. So we've been having a rash of burglaries, car burglaries, in movie theater parking lots in Carbondale. So obviously they were happening in Marion, other towns, whoever these suspects were, and decided that a movie theater parking lot's a pretty good place to go hit cars because you know for sure if the car's empty, somebody's inside the movie, they're not going to be out for an hour or two. So good, uh, good victim to hit. So a rash of burglaries at, at movie theaters. And so me and a buddy of mine at the time, we were working Midnight's Patrol, and we decided, as me and Brian Gleason, we decided to go to the movie theater, AMC, and go talk to the manager and say, hey, can we get up on your roof and do surveillance of the parking lot from the roof of the movie theater? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we walked back to a little corner office, and, they, and he opened the door, and there's the ladder going to the roof, and we opened the hatch. And so we're up there, and we both have binoculars, and we're watching the man, we thought, we were the top stuff, man. Here we are. It's like there used to be a show on TV called American Detective. 
And it was all these, you know, investigators doing cop stuff. And cops was real big on TV then. You so. needed the the inside the under the armpit holster with the revolver. Yeah, right? and the Dude. balaclava, you know, <laughs> thing, and, and and a white IROC Camaro, and yeah. didn't have all that. But so we did surveillance, and and after about an hour, we start to see a couple of guys slinging through the parking lot, and we're like, this, there's no doubt these guys are about to break into some cars. And sure enough, they get into some cars. You can see they're taking out stereos, so. My partner, Gleason, he stays up on the roof. I go running back to the ladder, run down, and he's on the radio saying, they're getting in a truck and they're driving off. And so I'm hauling butt out the doors to get to my car. And he leads me via the radio to this truck that left the parking lot. I get him pulled over just a couple blocks down the road. And we start investigating in the back of this truck that were probably 50 car stereos. Oof. And it was just loaded down with all kinds of, there's so much stolen stuff. We didn't even, we just drove the truck to the police department to start unloading it. And so lo and behold, after this long night of surveillance and chasing bad guys, one of the stolen things in this truck was John Wheaton's guitar. <laughs> and, and I was reunited and it felt so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was so crazy. So our paths had crossed yeah, 20-something years ago, yep. and then here they are crossing back yep. uh, again. So that was yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool, man. And one other thing from the first episode, my wife heard, overheard when I was editing the episode. She's like, Mr. Kemp, you mean from Carterville High School? I had him for biology. And, and, and I think she found her old yearbook yeah. and showed it to you before we started recording yeah. tonight. So we've got multiple. It's like that. What is it? The seven degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon or something. But yeah, yeah. So um, I, yeah I had a long, long history at old Carterville High School there with yeah. my dad teaching. So. My dad started teaching at Carterville in 1973, I think. So I was two years old. Oh, and wow. I kind of grew up. We lived in an apartment right next to the high school. And my dad, to make some extra money, because school teachers, I cannot imagine what a teacher in Carterville, Illinois, made as a salary in 1973. It's probably like 16 grand a year yeah. or something like that. So for extra money, he did all the extra coaching jobs. So he was the girls' basketball coach. He was the girls' softball coach. He was the golf coach at Carterville for 20-something years. So he was always doing these extra coaching gigs, which meant whenever he would go to you know, have basketball practice, little five-year-old Dave Kemp would tag along and, and bring one of my buddies, and we would have the whole gym to ourselves or the whole high school. So I grew up with this playground of the high school and the gym and all that kind of stuff right there in my backyard, essentially. And so my dad's, my dad's classroom was on the third floor of the old Carnival high school. And I actually had him for a couple of classes, which was pretty interesting. And, uh, you want to talk about getting grief, like, oh, oh. Te- talk about being the teacher's pet and getting grief for that. You know, you could never outlive yep. or downplay that. It's like, I'm, you know, I study. I get good grades. He's not helping me out. But it was a good time. <laughs> he was always fun. He was – my dad was known for giving extra credit for yeah. just about anything. We would, you know, he would say, hey, you know, extra credit if you can bring some some critters in here and so we go out and find a couple praying mantises or whatever and bring them into class there was always people showing up at our doorstep at home across in this apartment across the street like 11 o'clock at night people knocking on the door hey mr camp i found the snake you know you want to check it out or i found this animal i found this rat or oh, i found this two-headed frog and people were always showing up my dad taught biology and and physiology and human anatomy and 
And so people are always bringing critters and, and stuff over. And, and we could probably get into another long story, but we also, back in my high school days, we got chased by the cops a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's what secretly yeah. made me want to be a police officer yeah. one day. Like it's, it's, I will tell you, it's much more fun chasing bad guys than it is getting chased by the police. But yeah, there was one, there was a history at Carterville. And everybody that's ever gone to Carville High School will understand this, but the seniors every year would get up onto the gym of the high school and paint stuff on the black tarred roof of the gym. Yep. And this was an old school gym that had the rounded style roof. And Is that the one that's still the junior? It's still the, there. The, the, the uh, junior high. Junior high now. Yeah, right. yeah. So every year the seniors would get up on the roof and paint, you know, class of '83 or you know whatever something just generic. And so this was. Our year, 1989, man, we got to get up and, and paint the roof. So we did surveillance from my dad's classroom. Like, I wonder what we're going to do. Like, we were mapping it out. And so we were pretty serious. We thought we were pretty slick, you know. So we had about, you know, five or six cars pulled up in the neighborhood. And we all had the handheld CBs, <laughs> you know. And we had a guy doing a lookout for yep. us, you know, waiting for cops to patrol by. And we climbed up on the roof and we painted this Joker good. <laughs> I mean, we were up there for way too long, like an hour. Just huge class of 89 and just all kinds of crazy cool stuff. Nothing bad. We were up there so long that a neighbor across the street saw us on the roof. And she just thought somebody's breaking into the school. So she calls 911 and calls Carville PD. It just so happened that night at Carterville PD, like every cop within like 12 counties was at the Carterville Police Station. Johnny Logan and Williamson County, they were all playing cards or something. I don't know what they were doing in 1989 at the Carterville Police Department. But so there was about 12 cops there. And when a lady calls in and says there's people breaking into the high school. So they all come screaming down the Division Street in Carterville and come up the main drag to the high school. And we look up. About the time our, our lookout on the CB is like, it's the cops. And we're like, no kidding. <laughs> we needed about 30 seconds more. Yeah. It's all more the cops. Here. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> so we're all bailing off the roof and cops are everywhere. And they're out chasing us on foot. And we're running through the woods. And it was just mass mayhem. So there's like 15 of us running off the roof and cops everywhere. Every one of us got away by the skin of our teeth and <laughs> our downfall was a couple people were hanging out on the ground watching us and they they weren't even involved but the cops showed up and were like hey who was on the roof and they were like well dave kemp <laughs> we started getting phone calls the next day and it went downhill from there and we had to pay to get the roof your fix and it was a fiasco the ladies and gentlemen the criminal career of a career cop. Yes. That's luckily in, in, in five minutes. Luckily that was about the extent of my criminal career. <laughs> I was pretty proud of the fact that we got away <laughs> and didn't actually get caught, but yeah. You know, so anyway, yep. good old Carville, Carville high school. Lots of, lots of good, lots of good memories there. More stories, more yep. stories to come on that. And we'll get into more of those stories next time. I think we're out of time for tonight, but, uh, Brother, thank you for doing another one of these. Uh, it was a great discussion tonight. Real quick, everybody that tuned in tonight, I'd like to thank you in advance and uh, jump on all of our social medias. Hit up our website, righteoussavages.com. has a link to all of our social medias. 
please follow us, spread the word. We are going to continue this and we hope that you guys will support us because your uh, supporting us matters and it gets this word out, this message that we're trying to, to get out there to the masses. So it, any support that you can give us, um, we greatly appreciate. Um, we're going to have some merch coming soon and I'll keep you guys informed on that. We're going to have some Righteous Savages shirts. Um, we already have some bracelets we're going to be putting on our website here before too long that you guys can purchase to wear, uh, to get the message out that you want to act like you believe and you are a righteous savage. We'll see you guys next time.